Welcome into the Newsroom, a podcast by the East Oregonian and Hermiston Herald. My name is Alex Castle, reporter with the East Oregonian, and I'm joined by Jade McDowell, editor with the Hermiston Herald, and Antonio Sierra, reporter with the East Oregonian today as we uh, discuss some of the COVID-19 surge in Umatilla County. It's Friday, June 26th, a little bit after 1 p.m. How are you guys doing? Doing all right. It's been quite a week. Um, so, in a number of ways. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. In quite a number of ways. It's uh, yeah. I'm I'm tuning in from my office for the first time in a few weeks instead of from home. And uh, we can see you too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's an improved setup from usual. Yeah. yeah. So we're. Uh, yeah. There's plenty plenty of stuff to get to with this week in general, but we're today focusing mostly on the surge in cases locally uh, of COVID-19. And as we were kind of talking about these numbers and we started to see, uh, especially here in Umatilla County, the numbers go from, uh, daily numbers going from single digits into double digits consistently. We're starting to see uh, some definite, definite trends of uh, rising cases throughout uh, different areas of the county, some hospitalizations as well. And as we've discussed that, we, we've all talked about how with any COVID-19 story we put out there, there's always some questions from, from the public about what do these numbers really mean? Why are there discrepancies uh, in some places and, and, and what's being reported? And, and how does that just all work? So we kind of wanted to, to go through some of those, those questions. Um, and I don't know if, if you guys have a good one that you really wanted to, to start with. I, I think just kind of in general, the, the basic one has been why is, is county data different than statewide data from the Oregon Health Authority, um, which I'm happy to, to touch on or if you guys want to, to break it down a little bit for us. But uh, yeah, if you want to go ahead, you've been talking to the county health department probably the most often out of all three of us. Yeah, and really, I think the the biggest thing with the the reporting of COVID nineteen numbers, whether it's hospitalizations, testing rates, cases, it's when it's coming from the county. That's pretty much the information that they're getting firsthand uh, from back from labs on, on positive tests, on negative tests, uh, the things that they're finding out in their contact uh, tracing investigations. The statewide stuff, why sometimes you'll always see differences in the numbers reported each day. You'll see uh, the total tally of cases differ um, at the end of weeks. And, and it's it all has to do with, and I don't know the specifics of the, the reporting system or anything like that, but essentially the county inputs their data into a, a certain place. The state pulls those, those numbers and they pull it at different times. Um, so... The county, they'll kind of wait till the end of the day when they, they feel like they know how many cases are going to be reported that day. They put that number out there. The state, on the other hand, they have a set time and or at least they each time they'll choose choose it differently of when they pull all that data and then compile it for their daily report, for their re- weekly report and put it all out there. So that's just kind of why you see differences in the numbers. But I, I know as we talk about just these frequently asked questions and what specifically those those discrepancies between uh, the number of cases and hospitalizations and deaths and all those things, it's also 
the, that fractured reporting has created some some doubt and I think just uh, confusion among the public a lot. And it's it's obviously stretched over to other questions that we'll get to. But it, those just the raw numbers has been complicated and difficult, I think, for people to grasp just because of those those differences. And it's I mean, I know I, I feel confused just trying to explain it all. So, Alex, do we know how uh how long the state lags behind uh, the county in terms of reporting? Yeah, I don't know if there's like a set, um, if it's that consistent. You know, it'll be, it's very easy to tell over the weekend. So the the Oregon Health Authority will still put out a, a daily report on Saturday and Sunday. The county, even though they now have contact tracers working seven days a week, they don't have people compiling those news releases. So we know that type of difference in the reporting, but it seems like it, it, the state is always at least kind of a day behind or so, it seems. But it's I, I don't know if it's been consistent enough to get a, a good feel for it. Right. Because the expectation is that if you know, if and when this ends, at some point, the state and county numbers will line up. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like, you know, there's been a couple days here or there where it's like, oh, they actually do right. do match up. But it, it that seems more rare than common. So... But I, I know there's been some other questions that have kind of uh, come up. What are some, some others that you guys feel like uh, need to be addressed uh, for the public on just how we're reporting on these things? Uh, one thing that I heard recently uh, somebody had asked on the Herald's Facebook page is about hospitalizations. They said, you know, if they're saying six people are hospitalized, does that mean that there are six patients of Umatilla County hospitals that have COVID or six Umatilla County residents that have COVID that may be hospitalized up in Cadillac in the Tri-Cities or somewhere else. And uh, it's the the latter, it's Umatilla County residents who have tested positive that are part of our totals, whether they're hospitalized um, and it doesn't matter what hospital they're in. So that was one that I answered for someone recently. Uh, and I think there's been some confusion around active cases when Umatilla County puts out their numbers every day they'll say this many presumptive cases and this many confirmed cases and then you know recovered and active uh, and somebody messaged me a while ago and said your, your numbers are wrong they're not adding up because you know here's deaths plus confirmed cases plus hospitalizations and they don't add up to the number of active cases um, but the active cases counts presumptive and confirmed cases. And I think presumptive cases is another one that people have been confused about, especially because the definition has actually changed during the pandemic. Uh, you know, you had in the very early days where barely anyone in the United States had it, uh, had some faulty tests that went out from the CDC that weren't always totally accurate. Uh, and so they counted it if you tested positive in a state lab, but you hadn't tested, they would then send a sample on to the CDC and it was considered a presumptive case if you had tested positive in the state lab, but the CDC results had not come back yet. Uh, so I remember, you know, we, we reported our first case in Umatilla County on, I believe it was March 3rd, and we said it was a presumptive case. And, you know, we had all these people saying, oh, well, presumptive just means you're assuming. So it could just be somebody with a cough. 
you know, and who said, no, it's a little more serious than that. They have <laughs> tested positive according to one test. Uh, saw screenshots of the Google definition of presumptive so many times in our oh, yeah. <laughs> And so it got people to understand, okay, yeah, that means they've already tested positive in one lab and it's being confirmed in a second lab. And then after a while, the tests were a lot more accurate. And so they said, never mind, it doesn't need to be confirmed. We have confidence in these results. Uh, and then now, they're saying presumptive means that it is somebody who has been around, you know, they're a close contact of somebody who is confirmed to have COVID-19, and now they're showing symptoms of COVID-19 themselves, but their test result hasn't come back yet. Uh, and so, like I said, I think that's just that whole definition all along has been confusing to people as it's shifted. And so, you know, those presumptive cases, they either eventually drop off the reporting and they say, nope, it came back negative. And so it just disappears from the report altogether. Or if it comes back positive, then they are transferred over to the confirmed category and they become one of the confirmed cases. So presumptive cases, you know, you can argue how useful that data is. But one thing is you can kind of see what's coming. Oh, wow, there's 25 presumptive cases. Probably some of them are, at least some of them are going to be confirmed cases. So we're probably going to have more coming down the pike in the next couple of days. Right. Yeah. We're talking about social media comments, the one we see a lot uh, whenever there's a story about masks. And Jay did a great story about mask fashion um, <laughs> a few days ago. But uh, that, uh, People, uh, there are a group of people who are suspicious of masks, not only that they are ineffective in, in containing the spread of the virus, but that they are actively harmful to your health, that they block uh, your ability to expel carbon dioxide from your body. And so it instead collects on the mask and could uh, potentially make you sick or kill you. Um, but, uh, you know, we've not done locally done a big, uh, deep dive into that, but several other media organizations have, um, and they've pretty much said that, uh, yes, carbon dioxide can collect on your mask, whether it's an N95 or a cloth mask or anything like that, but not enough to hurt you, um, given the amount of time that most people wear, uh, masks, uh, to protect themselves. So, um, just a piece of misinformation that continues to float out there, um, but that is not true. And during times of crises, it's kind of what we're constantly dealing with is that uh, uh, misinformation tends to spread a lot faster during these times. And, um, you know, there's a there's a, a lot of folks who are kind of set in thinking, but there's also a lot of folks who are confused and not sure what to think because all the information looks same to them online. So um, you just, uh, you, you have to kind of balance, uh, do I spend time debunking this or do I just ignore it rather than legitimize it? So, you know, that's, that is definitely something that, uh, that I've seen a lot. Yeah, and I mean, those, those instances of misinformation spreading on social media, especially as we've seen uh, get harped on a lot throughout the, the pandemic, um, you know, a lot of it, I think, can be attributed to how confusing to a degree the numbers and data can be. I mean, there's people that, like you said, even if they, uh, they're they not firm in how they, they, what they think about uh, how things, how people should respond, how governments should respond, but they're, they're confused just because of, of the data in general. Um, 
And I think part of what, what can be helpful as well is also knowing what data is accessible and out there to help you kind of evaluate and, and, and think about, uh, uh, form your opinions on, on what you think about the, these rising, rising case numbers mean, because a lot of the things I see in our comments for pretty much every single time we put out a, a, you know, our daily story of just this is how many cases are reported is people saying, well, you're going to see more cases because there's more testing. And to a degree, that, I mean, that's definitely true. And there's, uh, th they've long talked about since this began that as more testing became available, you were going to see more cases popping up. But there's also stats out there like the positive test rate and uh, just the uh, testing rates in general that can give you a little bit better picture of what those rise in numbers actually mean. And as we'll, we'll get to about our numbers here locally in Umatilla, and you can extend it to Morrow County, two of the highest positive test rates in the entire state right now. So as we are discussing some of these rises in, in case numbers locally, I, I, you have to can keep in mind what the positive test rate for that stuff is. Um, before we get to some of just the, the local cases and what the stories we've been reporting on this week, any other questions that you guys wanted to make sure we had answered? I no, think, I think that's good. I think that's it for the dispelling myth segment. Well, moving on then to kind of what our numbers look like as of Friday, and this is, uh, uh, again, right after 1 p.m. Friday afternoon, June 26th. Um, we've yet to get our daily updates about Umatilla County. Haven't heard, uh, um, gotten anything about Morrow County's new cases. So we're not, uh, th these numbers will probably go up at least to some extent uh, by the weekend. But at least as of right now, we're sitting at 371 cases. Uh, that's confirmed and presumptive in Umatilla County, 44 in Morrow County. But here in Umatilla County, we are also at a all-time high, at least for a single at a single time. We have six hospitalizations uh, of county residents, and we've seen some outbreaks coming in Hermiston. Uh, I personally am I'm speaking with the health department later today, and we'll get a better feel for maybe where some of these cases are coming elsewhere. But I know just to start off, we, we kind of got uh, one of our first big outbreaks at a workplace in Umatilla County up in Hermiston at Lamb Weston this week, right? Uh, yeah, we had had a couple of ones before then. The OHA, again, talking about, you know, definitions and how it's important to know how the data is being counted. And so the Oregon Health Authority is counting an outbreak as more than five five or more cases linked to a work site so you could have two employees test positive and then three of their family members test positive after being in close contact with them and that would count as five cases linked to that work site and then it's also only counting uh, or only releasing the data and the names of work sites that have at least 30 people at them so you also, I, I know, you know, we had Good Shepherd and Medela's Trucking were in that first round of uh, worksite reporting that OHA did. And they said it was kind of frustrating that, you know, people just saw that and said, oh, they're having a huge outbreak. Whereas you could have had a worksite that had, you know, they had a very, very small percentage of their employees test positive. And you could have a worksite where you had 25 out of 25 people test positive And, you know, that might not make it into OHA's reporting because of those privacy issues. And so, uh, yeah, we had Medela's Trucking, actually, they were really unlucky because it's within 
I think it's like 30 days of the last case or uh, yeah, I believe it was 30 days since the last case, then it drops off the list. And so if uh, the state had waited one more week to start doing their worksite reporting, then uh, Medela's would have been okay. And then Good Shepherd had a few employees at a clinic that had tested positive. Um, but it, it was like I said, it was five five cases linked to it out of several hundred employees for Good Shepherd. And so again, you know, we're trying to give the the public the best information we can and whatever we know. But I think it's also important to realize that just because you're seeing a work site on one of these reports, you know, that doesn't mean that that they're the worst part of, you know, the, the worst outbreak in the county. There could be other outbreaks that because of the way the reporting works aren't showing up on that report. And for the Lamb Weston situation as well, the, the cases, that's not just employees, but also family members or, or close contacts of employees there? Yeah. So, yeah. So there, they came out this week as uh, 37 cases linked to them. Um, but yeah, they don't break it down. We don't know exactly how many of those were employees versus some of them could have been close contacts of employees, but not actually employed at the plant. And it... Hermiston has been the place where we've seen, uh, like you mentioned, Jade, I mean, some other uh, smaller workplace outbreaks, but we've seen just in general Hermiston be really the center of the um, the outbreak in Umatilla County. I believe the numbers this week are uh, up above 150 cases uh, by the, the state's measurement. Again, it uh, I, I believe uh, the zip code there in Hermiston gained nearly 70 new cases this week by the state's tally. Um, so we've seen a lot of the cases being confirmed there, but I know, Antonio, you're working on a story about that the lack of cases that we've had identified in Pendleton, there may be some evidence that there's been found that there may be more than we really know about here. Yeah. So it's, uh, kind of an interesting story. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we've been getting a couple tips that the city of Pendleton has been testing their, uh, sewer, uh, plant for COVID-19 and had found positive tests or I guess the presence of the virus within uh, uh, the town's fecal matter and uh, it popped up in April um, that and the lab they sent it to said that based on the amount of virus we found we believe that your town has 150 cases now back in early April I think Pendleton was still under 10 in that kind of nebulous area where OHA doesn't want to reveal the exact number. Um, so, and then apparently there was really uh, not a lot of other, um, they continued to test week after week and there weren't uh, signs that, uh, that there was COVID in the population again. And then all of a sudden last week, that uh, number ballooned to seven, uh, a projection of 700 cases based on the amount of virus they found in the uh, sewage plant. So I've talked with a few city officials. They have not disseminated this information widely, um, but uh, their reasoning is that they, uh, although they like it as an indicator of, of COVID-19 and as a possible generic trend uh, indicator, um, they don't put a lot of um, clout in the actual projection and number um, the it's being run the tests are being run out of a lab called uh, biobot um, they're out of the Boston area and uh, they 
the city manager likened it to an experimental drug. Um, this lab's trying to figure out if this is a way you can accurately predict what the amount of COVID actually in a population, um, but it can't you can't really rely on the results yet. So, um, you know, that's it's an alarming number to think that uh, actually Pendleton has 700 cases, which would put it. I haven't looked at the other area codes, but would probably put it right there in the top Ecleon of the state if everyone tested positive. Um, but uh, that is something the city plans to keep doing through the end of the year, um, but with kind of uh, taking these tests with a grain of salt. Um, but uh, to the point that Pendleton is seeing its uh, cases increase, um, I think uh, this week or this week's state report show that Pendleton is officially has enough cases to get definitive number. I think it's 12 or 13, somewhere in that area. Um, so uh, Pendleton still seeing a lot less cases than uh, even uh, a Boardman, um, much less Hermiston. Um, but um, it's generically on the rise and, and that might not, and I don't think that number includes the confederated tribes necessarily and i know they have five cases that tested out of yellow hawk so um yeah it's it seems to be going up uh everywhere in the county and i mean when you whether you know whether or not how accurate that that 700 number is and they're obviously trying to figure figure that out how much stock they could really put into that here in pendleton it i i think they're hard Plenty of numbers to indicate that either way, there hasn't been as much testing here. And county health officials have, have said in Hermiston, there is more access to testing. Plus, the county continues to stress, at least locally, their emphasis is still testing people with symptoms. Um, and a lot of it's because of the still lack of testing capacity and resources out here where they still don't really have enough to say that they can spread it out to everybody who's asymptomatic. Um, but when you look at just the, the, the test numbers for Humatilla County specifically, the, the test rate is 32nd out of 36 counties. And the positive test rate still throughout the entire county is, is, is second at 10% uh, in the state. Um, oh, and pardon me, that's 29th for Umatilla County uh, in terms of testing rates. So they're 29th in testing rates, but we're at second in terms of uh, uh, the, the positive test rate. So it, it, it's just this question of it, it feels like there's, it, it's likely, as health officials have said for a long time, that there's more cases out there, um, but yet we still just see them rising in Hermiston with likely a result of just those close contacts and the people that are able to to get tested and are, are being pushed to get tested. Um, as Joe Fiamara, the public health director here in Umatilla County, told me it takes cases to make cases. So by already identifying them in Hermiston, they've been able to stress and really emphasize getting tests to people there. That's why we see, and we've seen the numbers uh, as a result of it. So I'm just curious of, you know, how maybe uh, this wastewater test could help inform officials of, of where their focus needs to be on some testing because it, it does indicate that there likely is cases out here, again, maybe not in that 700 range, but who knows, there's, there's 
cases out here that just haven't been tested uh, and identified yet. Right, and uh, I actually, uh, I'm going to apologize if I get the media outlet wrong, but I listened to a podcast, I believe it was connected to the Tampa Bay Times, where a reporter talked with a doctor with a question, how do we accurately gauge what the COVID rate is? And of course, Florida is going through its own surge right now. It's one of the hardest hit states in the country, um, kind of as of the past few weeks. And the doctor said, like, you basically need to be able to uh, run testing, run a testing program like a survey, right? So a survey, you take, um, you, you take a certain group of people, you try to weight it for demographics based on the, how the population is actually composed, and then you extrapolate based on that. Um, and uh, that something in Florida wasn't doing right now, and it feels like something really, it's hard to say, but it doesn't really feel like something that's being done locally. You'd, you'd want to test uh, the amount of people based on the demographics of your county, and it would give you a more accurate picture, given that it's pretty unlikely that you could um, test every man, woman, and child in Umatilla County um, because there aren't necessarily... Uh, 75,000 tests lying around <laughs> and everybody willing to take them. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it, it's kind of one of the hardest things about doing it is, you know, you see data, sometimes you kind of, um, you take the numbers and you try to make your own data and you're never quite sure is this, is this data telling an accurate picture um, or, uh, you know, none of us are statisticians, none of us are, 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 are scientists. Um, so you trying to use the numbers to tell the story accurately. Um, and uh, when you are in uh, a rural county and the numbers are kind of low for population compared to, um, compared to some bigger areas, um, I... I never, I'm always concerned that I'm either <laughs> taking this too seriously or not seriously enough. <laughs> um, and so it's, uh, it's, it's something that I'm always double checking to make sure that A, am I the numbers, am I saying correct? And B, am I contextualizing this properly? Or am I uh, misleading people unintentionally because I came to the wrong conclusion based off of my back of the napkin nap, uh, <laughs> math? So, yeah. Yeah, and I've been interested in, you know, I've got, I, I went to college in Utah, so I still have a lot of friends down there, and all three of my brothers live down there, and so I've been paying pretty close attention to how things have been going down there, and they started a program early on where you can go to, there's a website, and people can go in and they can put in their symptoms and say, you know, I have a sore throat, I've had it for this many days, whatever, and they have drive-through testing sites, and so they'll say, you know, this this algorithm will say, yes, it seems like you may have COVID, so please report to this site on this date and get tested. But it also, they're randomly selecting people who, they, they've encouraged everybody to fill that out, and they're randomly selecting people who don't have any symptoms. Um, so I ha had a few people post on Facebook and say, yeah, I went in and I filled it out, and, you know, they said, go in and get tested, even though you're not having symptoms. And so I think kind of what Antonio is speaking to as far as then you can extrapolate data from that. And so that's what Utah has been working on. It's kind of having some of that random testing too. And I know that the state is, they are having some people, I think it was a thousand people in the state 
that they sent out uh, packets to that they're having them check their temperature every day and things like that. Um, so there's a little bit of that, but I think it's less widespread than in Utah and some of the other states and definitely, yeah, isn't happening on a county level where we're having people just say, hey, why don't you come on in and get tested, even though you're not showing symptoms and haven't had any contact. Yeah, I think it was last week when I spoke with uh, Joe Fiamar with the health department, he said, you know, to a certain degree, they're, uh, you know, they're just hopeful that the reason why they're they're not seeing uh you know, a lot of people getting tested and as many tests uh, being done because less people are seeking care for it, which they're, they're hoping means that there's not something that they're, they're necessarily missing. But at the same time, it, 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 it it's just hard to, when you compare where Umatilla County is with its case totals and you, you do it by the per 10,000, rates uh at least that's what the, the state likes to do when they're um kind of evaluating this in their weekly report um which i think comes back to some of your point antonio about how do we try to contextualize this because then you're uh you're we're trying to account for population differences across the state but umatilla county is 34th when it comes to uh case totals per 10,000. the only counties higher than it are lincoln and uh, Union County, which as we covered in last week's podcast, went through a, a huge outbreak, the largest single outbreak we had seen in the state yet uh, uh, due to a church service over there. Lincoln County and Newport had a, uh, a workplace outbreak as well that was uh, brought, they needed to bring in a lot of state resources to help out there. Those two places also have two of the highest testing rates in the state. Umatilla County is just right behind them in case totals when you account for population difference, but one of the worst when it comes to testing rates. And so it, I, I, I think that just kind of illuminates that, yeah, there's, and I, I, I like the, I, you brought up the, the state study, which I've been thinking about recently uh, about that, because I remember the announcement probably, I mean, maybe it was a month ago. It's hard to, <laughs> time's kind of, I've lost track of, uh, of time, but I think it's been the, you know, well over a month that they announced that they were doing that study, but I haven't heard of any, anything, anybody locally necessarily that's been involved in that. Not that I, I know that they, we would hear that necessarily, but I'm just curious to see if we start to learn some more about, uh, uh about increasing testing efforts. Cause it had been such a, a, a priority when we were kind of first going through this and we saw you know, single digit numbers in most of the rural Eastern Oregon counties. Um, and everything is expanded out to where the state says uh, they believe it's good enough for us to, to go through these reopening steps. But out here, it's it's still lagging behind, but that hasn't necessarily meant that we're not not seeing case numbers. And it's still just, it, it really begs the question of how complete of a picture are we getting of of this locally? And we I think you bring up a good point jay that there's there's other solutions that other states and and places have have turned to 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 try to get a better grasp for what their outbreak looks like locally mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i i like like you said i'd be interested to see how that study in oregon is going uh and i think you know right now there's some antibody testing out there but it 
the FDA is saying a lot of it isn't very accurate. You really shouldn't say, oh, I got a positive test, so that means I'm immune and I can just run around and do whatever. Uh, but someday, maybe we will have pretty firmly accurate uh, antibody tests available and uh, freely available to everyone. And I think at that point, it'll be really interesting to see how many people had it during the pandemic that we missed it, either because they didn't have any symptoms at all or, you know, maybe they said, well, I've just got a sore throat and a little bit of a cough. I'm not going to a doctor for that. I'll just stay home. Well, anything else in terms of data, numbers, questions yeah. that we want to answer? Um, yeah, I'm just kind of looking ahead. Um, I think uh, in terms of attention from the state uh, media and other entities, Hermiston has been very low-key, one of the hardest hit, it, hit cities in the state in terms of COVID-19. Um, you know, every every week when a, we we get a new report um, from OHA about how, what which areas um, are seeing uh, new cases, and Hermiston always is seeing some sort of jump and is always contributing the majority of cases to Umatilla County. I did some uh, like a quick compilation um, just based on. Um, the numbers that OHA shared, um, June 24th, there's 174 cases in Hermiston, or the Hermiston area, I should clarify, given that they're doing it by uh, zip code rather than uh, city limits. But um, there's 174 cases, that was a 64% increase from the week prior. And then it's it, that is kind of that was a big jump from the week before was a 29% increase and then before that 21% and then week before that 3% and that was just the month of June so I'm interested to see if that's a sustained trend if that uh, means that we've hit the uh, that exponential curve that uh, epidemiologists worry about so much or if it's just kind of a blip on the radar and those cases will start to come back down again but uh, you know I think uh, Hermeson has kind of been the uh, leader is the wrong word, but the uh, the epicenter definitely in Umatilla County, and uh, it seems like right now where Hermiston goes is kind of will reflect the way the rest of the county's numbers will will look like. Also, I, I mean, we are seeing the surge locally, and and the numbers show that we're, we we may be starting to see that that exponential rise in in, in Hermiston specifically. It's also the, the surge is happening statewide, and it's the state did put out a, a, a new model today, or at least uh, their, uh, their results from their modeling. Um, and if you look at the moderate scenario, which they say would account for both an increase in transmission due to the reopening um, steps that, they, that has been taken across the state, along with an increase in testing, then over the next month, we could see up to 900 new cases per day across the state. That's a moderate model, and hospitalizations could rise up to, to 27 per day. Now, you get pessimistic, you get all the way up into the nearly 5,000 new cases per day, uh, more than 80 hospitalizations per day. Um, so that's just kind of where the state says that we're heading uh, at a statewide level, and We'll, we'll definitely be monitoring to see how that, uh, that comes into play locally and also how, how well we can grasp the outbreak because of these testing discrepancies that we've outlined and how much we can figure out from the wastewater in Pendleton. <laughs> yeah. 
it'll be interesting to see see if I can what those tests will look like a few months from now. No, uh, as far as I know, uh, there's no requirement that cities or um, water districts uh, do uh, sewage testing. This is something that a, the um, uh, wastewater uh, treatment plant manager saw um, in a trade group um, publication and decided to give it a spin just to see what how it would end up um, and decided to kind of commit to it through the end of the year. Um, as far as I know, there are no other cities um, in the area that are doing this. Um, and uh, Biobot told me that they can't confirm any other customers. Um, so uh, there may be others, um, but uh, but it's as far as I know, it's not super widespread, and is kind of by it's a it's a city by city choice. Yeah, and maybe we'll see some other other places come out. And I, I mean, it's it's been the situation with health officials, uh, and I think the amount of people that I've had tell me that they're they don't really know what necessarily uh, uh, the numbers say or or how what they know about uh, uh, this virus uh, for certain. Uh, it's been just about everybody with this uh, in recent months. So um, we're still trying to figure it all out. Uh, Jay, did you have anything else that you wanted to add? No, I think that's good. Uh, you know, bringing it back to, we've talked about a lot of different definitions and numbers and things. And, you know, we always have problems with people just read our headlines and don't actually read the stories, but we've gone through a lot of trouble to really try and understand how this reporting works and what criteria the state and the county are using and, and how all of that goes together. And we try and explain it to the public. And so a lot of times the questions that people are asking on our Facebook page and things like that, uh, if, if they read through the story, we are answering those questions. And so it's important if you really want a good context uh, to Kind of keep up on that reporting uh you know listen to our podcasts mm. read our stories read our editorials we're, we're really working to try and give people as much of a picture as we have and as we've said you know there's things that we don't always have a clear knowledge of because they're not being reported but we can always try and find that out for people if, if someone does bring up a question that maybe we hadn't thought of before yeah yeah and I, i'm Definitely. I mean, there's plenty of Facebook comments that we get of, yeah, if you click on the article, read through it, we may have answered the question for you. But if there's some of this uh, stuff that we discussed uh, today that maybe still doesn't make sense or other questions that you have about uh, how things are being reported, how that data is being collected and how we're uh, able to interact with it and what uh, conclusions you can make from it, let us know. And uh, uh, what was the what was the segment called again? The uh, Oh, dispelling myths. Dispelling myths. Yeah, maybe we'll we'll nice, dispel yeah. some more myths next week. Yeah. Uh, but uh, thank you to to Jay McDowell, to uh, Antonio Sierra, to our producer Ben Lonergan. Forgot to introduce him at the beginning, but big thanks to him for the setup. Uh, I've been Alex Castle. This is uh, in the newsroom. We'll talk to you next time. Make sure to pick up the latest edition of the East Oregonian and read all about our coverage of COVID nineteen here in Umatilla County.